0: Good morning, everyone. I'm happy to welcome you today. And it doesn't matter how many times you do this, I still get nervous. Um, So it's good to see everybody this morning. If you would, turn your Bibles to John chapter 4 this morning with me real quick. I want to talk to you about the nobleman's son um, and his healing. So Jesus, while you're turning there, we'll be in verses uh, 45 through 53 of John 4. Jesus is coming to Galilee from Samaria where he encountered a woman, the woman at the well, and he spent two days with the Samaritans. And he's now returned to a place of his first miracle that was making water into wine at the Cana of Galilee. And he had an encounter with this nobleman who had a need. Let me read the passage uh, with you real quick. Starting at verse 45 of John 4 says, Then when he was come into Galilee, the Galileans received him having seen all the things that he did at Jerusalem at the feast, for they also went to the feast. So Jesus came again into Cana of Galilee, where he made the water wine, and there was a certain nobleman whose son was sick at Capernaum. When he heard that Jesus was come out of Judea into Galilee, he went to him and besought him that he would come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. Then Jesus said to him, or, Except ye see signs and wonders, you will not believe. The old man said to him, Sir, come down before my child die. Jesus said, says to him, Go your way, your son lives. And the man believed the word that Jesus had spoken to him, and he went his way. And as he was now going down, his servants met him and told him, saying, Your son lives. Then inquired he of them the hour when he began to amend and they said to him, Yesterday at the seventh hour, the fever left him. So the father knew that it was at the same hour in which Jesus said to him, Your son lives, and himself, and himself believed in his whole house. Now, looking at this passage, let me go ahead and read verses 45 again. I'm just going to kind of walk through it, some of the things that I saw. And it's the starting at verse 45, it says, Then when he was come, Into Galilee, the Galileans received him, having seen all the things that he did at Jerusalem at the feast, for they also went to the feast. The feast that's being referred to here is actually mentioned in John chapter 2, verses 23 through 25. I want to read that to you real quick. And it says, when he was at Jerusalem at the Passover in the feast day, many believed in his name when they saw the miracles which he did. But Jesus did not commit himself to them because he knew all men. And indeed, and needed not that any should testify of man, for he knew what was in man. He didn't commit himself to these people. They were amazed. They believed, but he didn't entrust himself to them. He didn't commit himself to them because their faith was not a faith that actually wanted to follow Jesus. They didn't, they only believed because they were amazed at the signs that he performed. They didn't have faith in the sense that they were ready to follow him, just that they were amazed at his works. This is, a sign, this is a sign of the difference between being a fan of Jesus and being a follower of Jesus. Fans get excited. Followers get serious. Fans get amused. Followers are changed. Fans exalt the signs while followers exalt the person. Jesus knew that they were, there, they were not true followers in this crown. They just wanted to see the signs again. So when he came to Cana of Galilee, they wanted to see signs again. So in verse 46 and 47, we kind of, let's move on with the passage. It says, so Jesus came again to Cana of Galilee, where he made the water wine, and there was a certain nobleman whose son was sick. When he heard that Jesus was come out of Judea into Galilee, he went to him and besought him that he would come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. Now there's a good chance that this nobleman was a Gentile. Why that matters is early in John chapter 3. Jesus is conversing with Nicodemus, who represented the religious leaders of Jerusalem and of Judea and the Jewish people. Then, after he gets done discussing with Nicodemus, he meets the woman at the well, which was a Samaritan, also known as a half-breed, half-Jewish, half-Gentile. And so he met with her there, and not only her, but her whole community, and many of them believed. And if this man truly is a Gentile, which is a good chance that he is, now Jesus... In John chapter 3 and 4 has met with all the Jews, the Samaritans, and the Gentiles, and he's sharing the good news with all of them. He is now touching the world that he came to save in these few chapters. But back to the nobleman. This man's son was sick. He was about to time. Now, I can relate with this nobleman. Um, There was a time when our little boy Titus, we didn't know, would make it. Um, He had viral pneumonia. His oxygen dropped well below the 90% threshold, and he was in the 80s, hospitalized for days. There, there was a chance the doctors didn't give us any promises of his recovery. We did not know what would happen to our Titus. Some, one of the scariest times of our lives, sitting inside of an ambulance, going to the hospital, staying awake uh, night and day, sitting beside your boy, you don't know what to do. I can relate with this man, of going to Jesus. When you've lost all hope, you don't know what's going to happen. You go to Jesus, and he went to Jesus to heal his son, and I can relate that, to that it was one of the scary times of our lives. I remember pleading and persisting and begging God and Jesus that He would heal my boy, and I would have done the same as this man when He went to Jesus for His boy. So I can relate with that. Now, in verses 48 and 49, it says, Then Jesus said to him, Except ye see signs and wonders, you will not believe. The nobleman said, to, Sir, come down before my child die. Now, here, Jesus sounds a bit heartless. But Jesus was rebuffing the man to make sure that he was not just looking for a sign. Now, if you're a miracle worker and you're going around, you're going to meet a lot of different people. Again, these people that in the town that he was at, they were amazed at the signs. They loved what Jesus was doing. They loved the miracles. And that's what they were going to Jesus for. We know about what Jesus was approached with the scriptures. Could you imagine all the requests that Jesus received? There's probably, I can just picture it now, two men sitting, drinking grape juice. Saying to themselves, you remember that time? That axe head fell in the water and the servant was freaking out about it because it was borrowed. Remember Elisha? You remember what he did? He threw a stick in the water and that axe head floated right up to the surface. Isn't that amazing? You know, I lost my boat last year. I remember that. It was my favorite boat. All my tackle was in the boat. It sunk. Wouldn't it be amazing if Jesus raised my boat out of those depths, pulled my boat back out of the water? Wouldn't that be amazing? Let's go talk to Jesus. i we'll to see if he could pull my boat out of the water. I could just see that happening all the time. There was a time when a lady came, Jesus, my child is demon-possessed. Jesus looks at her and says, How long has this been going on? Ever since they became a teenager. It's not demons. It's hormones. I don't know what that is. Don't worry about it. It'll pass. Jesus was met all the time with different requests. So the fact that he rebuffs this man and says, you just want to see signs and miracles. And he says, no, I come here because my son is about to die. Jesus was speaking in hope that this man would believe in dedication and not just amazement. That's all he was asking, was that he would come down because his child was on the point of death. He wasn't one of those who just wanted a sign from Jesus. He just, he lost hope and believed that Jesus could save his child. And still, even at this point, Jesus asked for faith from this man. In verse 50 and 51, I'm going to read this. It says, Jesus says to him, go your way, your son lives. And the man believed the word that Jesus had spoken to him, and he went his way. And as he was now going down, his servants met him and told him, saying, your son lives. Now, Jesus granted the request, but it's like Jesus looked at him and said, listen, I'm going to grant your request, but I'm not going to grant it in the way you want me to. You want me to come down to your boy. I'm not going to go down to your boy. You need to have faith that what I say is going to come to pass. You came to me asking for healing for your son. I'm telling you that deliverance is there. Healing is there. You need to believe me and go home. I'm not going to give you exactly as you requested. He asked for faith. He didn't touch him, he just simply said the word, and he created a dilemma for this nobleman. Either A, he was going to believe Jesus, that Jesus, A, could heal, and B, that Jesus said he would do it and that he was going to fulfill it, or B, he was going to insist that Jesus do it his way, that Jesus come to his house and touch his boy. But in doing so would show his doubt that Jesus would do it. And he would not have received the benefit of the work of Jesus. He could believe Jesus, followed Jesus' order, return to his dying child. And when he left, he had no external evidence, no physical assurance that what Jesus said was going to come true. Because it took him a while to get home. He took Jesus at his word and went home believing that what Jesus said was going to come to pass. With no external evidence or assurance. He had to choose between insisting on evidence to exercising faith without tangible proof. And he believed Jesus. And with no assurance, walked home to his boy. What would I have done? That would have been a difficult choice because this man believed Jesus and he acted out his faith of what Jesus said. Let me ask you a question what if you're petitioning to Jesus today? And what is Jesus telling you? And why are you willing to walk and live by what Jesus has said? Or does Jesus have to do it your way? What was the fruit of this encounter? And that was his boy was received back in health. When he got home, they said, your son lives. Before he even got there, your son lives. Let's read verses 52 through 53. It says, Then inquired he of them the hour when he began to amend, and they said to him, yesterday at the seventh hour, the fever left him. So the father knew that it was at the same hour in which Jesus said to him, your son lives, and himself believed in his whole house. No one inquired about the time he was healed. Sometimes there are coincidences that we wonder is more behind them. He wanted to know if this was not a coincidence that the boy came back to health or, or if this was the time, if this is exactly what Jesus said, and it was at the exact time that Jesus said, your son will recover and your son lives that this son recovered. For this man, the fact that his son's fever left him at the exact same time that Jesus said your son lives was enough to prove that it was more than mere coincidence. It was a divine intervention. And what I love about Jesus is he still works today. And when we pray to God, we know that he acts according to what he says. He works according to what, he has, what his word has said. So this was more than just a miracle chaser. Or a sign chaser. He had a real need. And he exercised a real faith. And he saw real fruit. And he and his whole household believed. Now sometimes Jesus allows us to be in a little bit of a dilemma. Of faith. To see if we'll exercise faith or insist in doubt. Can I challenge you to live by faith? Live by what Jesus has said. Live by what God has spoken. Not to live in countless doubt. Or insisting on evidence all the time. Just obey in a way that is rejoicing in God's ways and knowing that God is good and that he has your best in mind. For those who walk by faith and live by faith and exercise faith will be rewarded with great things from God's hand. If you believe, you will act. And that's what this nobleman did. I pray that I would take Jesus at his word and live and I challenge you to do the same. So on the note, why don't we take some prayer requests and then Phil, I'm gonna ask you to pray. Um, I will go ahead and start off. We run a little fellowship in Eaton. Please keep our fellowship in Eaton. We minister to a lot of different people from a lot of different backgrounds, and we want to show them the love of Jesus, but ultimately their life needs to be found in following Jesus. So please pray for our fellowship in Eaton. Any other prayer requests? Yeah. Other requests? Okay. Phil, would you lead us in prayer?
1: some of this
2: appreciated the service to this point. I'm so thankful as we heard in the Sunday school opening that we can celebrate light in this weekend of when many celebrate darkness. I'm thankful for the opening that the Lord brought that ties in throughout the sermon this morning. Very well. You know I thought about this week about the foolishness of preaching, as Paul calls it, and how sometimes as I'm preparing for this, I, I just had the thought that there's more important things. I, I read this poem that made me think that, you know, for sure, and really how we live our life is so much greater sermon than a message I can give on Sunday morning, We're going to look at 2 Peter chapter 1 this morning and Peter's calling us to grow and he's calling us to live in such a way that we're not barren or unfruitful. And I wonder what message we've preached to our neighbors this week. What message we've preached to our children. I'd rather see a sermon than hear one any day. I'd rather one should walk with me than merely show the way. The eyes of better pupil and more willing than the ear. find counsel is confusing, but examples always clear. And the best of all the preachers are the ones who live their creed. For to see good put in action is what everybody needs. I soon can learn to do it if you let me see it done. I can watch your hands in action, but your tongue too fast may run, and the sermon you deliver may be very wise and true, but I'd rather get my lesson by observing what you do. For I might misunderstand you and the high advice you give, but there's no misunderstanding how you act and how you live. And how true that is for... All of us. How healthy are you? Spiritually. How would your neighbors describe your health? Today we're going to look at some what I've called supplements for Christian growth in Second uh, Peter 1 I, I read a quote this week that I also just wanted to share it said uh, a boss says let's go I'm sorry a boss says go a leader says let's go and as we think about what kind of a Christian are we? We wouldn't necessarily think of ourselves as bosses, but there's a lot of that kind of attitude, it seems, and we can find ourselves there, that we know what's right, and we know how we should live or how others should live, especially. And we tend to want to speak truth maybe more often than we say, Let's go. It's easy to say abortion is wrong and it's more difficult to help take care of those children and to support those mothers who find themselves in difficult situations. And, and you could give many examples of the difference between perhaps being a Christian boss or a, a leader. We need more leaders in our world. Before we start into Second Peter here, I just want to, we, we went through 1 Peter a couple years ago, and, and I just want to give the setting this was written in. 1 Peter was probably written in around uh, AD 60 to 65, somewhere near the time of Nero's persecution of the Christians, likely written from Rome. And in First Peter 1 Peter 1.1, we see that it was written by Peter to who? To, those, to strangers scattered. It says, and it's, it's the stranger here speaks of a resident foreigner. He calls them the same thing in chapter two, verse 11. He calls them strangers and pilgrims. Peter was writing to people that he calls strangers that had been scattered. Perhaps after King Herod had killed James in Jerusalem during that time, the persecution had gotten great enough that, that they had fled and went to other areas to live, and the people he was writing to here were in the area of what we know of today as, as Turkey. You would find all of those countries listed there in that place. You know, there's, that's still a real thing in many areas of the world today. In the Middle East, in parts of Asia, in Africa and even as we see in Haiti where Christians are being scattered and most of us have not mis- been misplaced as far as our country of origin so much but but I hope that we can relate as strangers scattered simply because our citizenship is in heaven. Hebrews says that we have no continuing city, but we seek one that is to come. We have no place to truly call our home in this life. And however thankful we are that we live here in America, may we never feel at home. Do you feel different? Do you feel like that you don't belong sometimes or? all the time. you talk to your children about being different? About being okay with being different? It's okay to not be like everyone else? Too many times we want to fit in We want to be accepted and we want to belong and I think that sometimes even without intentionally doing it, sometimes without knowing that we're doing it, we compromise and we do the things that it takes to fit in to the point that we with the writer of this book, Peter, can find ourselves denying Christ. As we begin to fit in, we begin to grow cold. We begin to attach to the things of this life and hold on too tightly, and we find ourselves having trouble letting go. And that is not what Christ calls us to. He says, Peter says, we are strangers in this world, and and I hope we don't forget it. So now... that was the the setting of 1 Peter and now we're at 2 Peter and it was written probably three to four years later. And he writes to these people to, to stay diligent. He uses that phrase multiple times. And that's part of the call today to be diligent in your Christian life. And to encourage you in Christian growth. And I want to ask you have you grown recently? Over the last year, have you grown in Christ? Really, honestly. This book of 2 Peter was also written to combat false teaching, warns against the influence of these teachings in the lives of Christians, and that comes later in the book. We won't get there this morning. But he begins here in verse 1, Simon Peter, a servant and an apostle of Jesus Christ to them that have obtained like precious faith with us through the righteousness of God and our Savior Jesus Christ. He Introduces himself as Simon Peter. His name was Simon until he met Jesus and Jesus gave him the name Peter. He introduces himself as a servant and an apostle and I think that we know what a servant is. It's someone who serves others. We're familiar with that term and we have many servants among us even this morning. And it's a gift. It's a calling. A servant and an apostle. Merriam-Webster defines an apostle as one sent on a mission. And so I hear Peter saying, I serve Jesus Christ, and I've been sent on a mission by Jesus Christ. And I'm writing to a people who have the same precious faith that I have. Faith that is through the righteousness of God, our Savior, Jesus Christ. Verse 2, he goes on, grace and peace. We've heard about that both in the Sunday school opening and in the opening. Peace and peace. Grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and of Jesus Christ our Lord. How does grace and peace become multiplied? Through the knowledge of Jesus Christ our Lord. Do you have grace and peace in your life? Is it multiplying in your life? Is it growing? Is it increasing? that is what Peter desired for these people How do we get grace and peace it says through the knowledge of God and Jesus So how do we gain this knowledge of God and Jesus There's three ways that I've no doubt given you before Number 1 is to read your Bible As we read the word of God, we can gain a knowledge of him, of his heart, of his purpose for life. Don't just read a little of it, but read it all. Read the entire gospels. Get to know this Jesus and what he said and how he worked. I don't want to portray... That your grace and and peace depends on how well you know your Bible. That's not true. That's not what this says. It says, depends on knowing God. How well you know your God is what's going to multiply grace and peace in your life. So it's not just in knowing your Bible, but that is a way that you can get to know God. Another is to pray, talk to Him. And I know that some of you have shared that it feels like your prayers don't work they don't go anywhere they don't leave the room i've felt that way i just want to encourage you to continue to pray don't give up don't stop remember with me last week as ken shared his testimony of his addiction and he he shared about how long he had prayed and it seemed like nothing happened for a long time. And God did. He worked a mighty work and he took away his desires. And God has done that very thing in my life. And I can't, just like he said, I can't give you exactly what to do or the exact timeline. God works in ways that are different than any of us would often do. But I know that he will. He says in his word, if you seek me, you will find me when you seek me with all of your heart. He says, ask and you shall receive. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened. Don't stop. He is hearing your prayers. And in those times, I just want to encourage you to be disciplined in the word of God. To continue to read because I do believe there's a sanctifying effect. Though it's slow at times, it seems like maybe God's not working as fast as we would like. As we continue in the word and in prayer, he sanctifies us. Sometimes it takes a while, but our desires change. Our hearts change our attitudes change. And the third way is to seek out men and women of faith who can teach you about God. And I know that it's easy to talk to our peers. It's easy for you young people to talk to others your age about the Bible, about church, about your job and the, your relationships and the difficult things because they get you. They get your pain. They get your loneliness. They get where you're at. And so many times it feels like those older than us don't. Phil just don't get me. He's too old. No. Amen. But, <laughs> but don't we have that thought many times? And, and I would just encourage you to, to, to seek out those relationships and to to hear about God from more than just your peers continue to, to have those conversations with with those your age but but seek for more you know number one older folks they understand more than we think they do oftentimes <laughs> and the other thing and they care and the other thing is is that They don't have to fully understand to be able to share with us truth about God. To be able to share with us their testimony of how God has worked in their life and it can encourage and it can have an impact on our life. You know, sometimes we don't always like what we hear from some of them. Sometimes it's not what we wanted to hear. But oftentimes... Whether it's in that moment or later, we know that it's what we needed to hear. And so, don't shy away from seeking men and women of faith to teach you in this knowledge of God. That grace and peace might be multiplied in your life. Before we get to verses 3 and 4, I wanted to share this, this story I read. And as we get into these verses, it it fit well with the opening, this idea of, of really believing and having faith. A church of which I was one time a pastor was heavily in debt. I made it a matter of prayer. One day a stranger called on me and said, Mr. McNeil, I understand that you have a debt in your church that you are anxious to pay. I've heard a great deal about your work and I want to help. Then laying a blank check on my desk, he said, fill in the amount you require and I will return later and sign it. And then he was gone. As I sat looking at that check, I said, surely he doesn't realize that our debt runs into the thousands of pounds. He would never give that much. He told me to make it out for the full amount, but I'll just put down half. I'm afraid he won't even sign that much. After a little while, the stranger returned and with scarcely a glance signed the check and left without another word. I looked at the signature. It was that of a well-known philanthropist Was then I realized that he meant what he said. That man was left with a debt because he didn't believe when the man said, I want to take care of your debt. And I wonder how many times we continue to hold on to debt and to sin and to pain and to all of the things in our life because we don't really believe Jesus when he says, I'll take all of your burdens, cast them all on me. When he says, That he will forgive all of our sins. When he says he'll give us a new heart, he means what he says just like that man. He wants to take it all. And so many times I find myself praying a prayer that I think has a higher chance of God answering. Do we pray prayers? With a small faith, so that we'll get what we want or some of it. Our God's bigger than that. And faith is something that's that's not something that we can be realized without a God. This faith, we must, and we can, as we're gonna see in these verses, give it all to Him. He wants it all. He wants us to be changed, to be new, and to live a life of victory. Can I remind you that Paul was a murderer named Saul? Ken was an addict. I was dead in my sins. And God saved all three of us. And God wants it all. No matter where you've been. Let's read these verses 3 and 4. Powerful verses. According as his divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him that hath called us to glory and virtue whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises that by these you might be partakers of the divine nature having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust like Oliver said this morning the devil is defeated his divine power has given us everything we need to live godly in Christ Jesus these aren't just glowing words these aren't just Christian hype these are guaranteed promises that God has given us, not only is our debt paid, but our future is secure. Our future can be pure. We don't have to continue in the corruption through of lust that he speaks of. Do you believe? Are you living in that divine power? Do you believe those promises? I believe that as we get to verse 5, we have to, they, it's connected to verses 3 and 4. Because verse 5 is a bit of a command, you might say. And to just pull it out by itself may, may sound like you're, you're uh, pulling yourself up by your bootstraps, but it's a result, I believe, it's a response to God's provision provided in verses 3 and 4. I'm not sure I care for the King James version here in the beginning of verse five every other version i looked at uses the words for this reason and to me it it just flows through there a a little better tying those together though besides this kind of makes it sounds like set this aside and 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 let's talk about verse five for this reason because of verses three and four and besides this it says giving all diligence Add to your faith virtue and to virtue knowledge and to knowledge temperance and to temperance patience and to patience godliness and to godliness brotherly kindness and to brotherly kindness charity. This effort, this diligence, this focus I don't believe it's about working your way to heaven. It's not about faith Plus, these things allows you to climb the ladder, and when you finally get to the end, you've arrived. It's not that Gail is up at godliness, and I'm here at patience, and Addie is back at virtue. I, I don't understand it that way. Although, it, as a, the way it's written, it, it's easily it, it could be said that way. I suppose you might say, but but I don't. It doesn't seem to be. Um, the the character of scripture to understand it that way and i believe that every one of us are called to all of these these things we're going to see that in a moment peter goes on and he calls this set of verses these things multiple times later as he's speaking of knowledge and temperance and patience godliness These are ways that we can grow as believers. I don't see it so much as about the order or completing one before tackling the next as much as that we're all called to grow in all of these things. And to have these in our lives, these should be response that we live in the divine, as we live in the divine power that gives us all things that pertain to life and godliness. So let's look at, so verses 8 through 15 here, as I was reading through this, I noticed he kept talking about these things. And they go back to verses 5 through 7. I'm just going to read down through these. I, I boxed them here in my Bible. Verse 8. For if these things be in you and abound, they make you that you shall be neither barren nor unfruitful. Verse 9. But he that lacketh these things is blind and cannot see afar off. Verse 10. For if ye do these things, you shall never fall. Verse 12, I would not be negligent to put you always in remembrance of these things. And then in verse 15, that ye may be, may be, may be able after my decease to have these things always in remembrance. <clears throat> Well, I've used most of our time here. Um, I originally had thought that we would spend most of our time on these things, but we didn't get there. Uh, We're going to just briefly go through and define these things, and I guess I would give it to you as homework. Because they seem pretty important. Do you want to be barren and unfruitful? we must have these things and so I would just encourage you to study them and to seek them in your life virtue is something that we don't use often in our vocabulary and it was a bit of a challenge for me to fully grasp what what that means or what that is And, and so maybe you will spend some more time figuring that out the, the definition of it could be good character but he calls us to add virtue to our faith knowledge is information understanding or skill that you get from experience or education it's awareness as Christians we're not called to have our head in the sand to be ignorant, we're called to knowledge. Now primarily the knowledge that we must know is the knowledge that he's spoken of multiple times, the knowledge of God and of Jesus and his purpose on earth, but, but also to know the world around us and the needs and the ways that we can lead our lives to affect change for Christ. Knowledge, he says, temperance, which is moderation. Self-discipline, patience is also in that definition, which is the next thing, patience. I had a lot to say about this, but I'll have to save that for another time. But the way that we grow in patience is just the way that we get good at everything else. By having a lot of opportunity to be patient, which is a lot of opportunity to be impatient, to become frustrated. And so, if we can see those times this week, those opportunities that God is giving us to add to our faith, patience, uh, it'll give us a better perspective on some of the situations we find ourselves in. Relax this week. God's got this. It's going to be okay. Godliness, interesting, somewhat obvious, a call to be more like Jesus. Brotherly kindness, Romans twelve ten says, and speaking of this, it's honor in honor, preferring one another, honor each other, esteem each other higher than ourselves, and then he ends with charity. It's interesting that it begins with faith and it ends with charity. Once again, the words of Paul come to mind: Let all you do be done with love, and the greatest of these is love. And how important, once again, love does not get left out. Verse 8. For if these things be in you and abound, they make you that you shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. To abound means to exist in a large amount to increase, to grow. If you're not growing in your walk with the Lord, I would encourage you in these supplements that Peter has given us this morning. First of all, that you know and believe verses 3 and 4. And then that you give diligence, that you give effort, that you have a desire to add to your faith these things, virtue, knowledge, temperance, patience, godliness, brotherly kindness, charity. Because verse 9 says, He that lacketh these things is blind and cannot see far off. And has forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. If you don't have vision. If you don't have perspective. If you cannot see more than the here and the now. And the problems that are facing you in this moment. The problems that are facing our nation in this moment. Or our church in this moment. Or or your job in this moment. You cannot see that there's more to life than just what we're hearing today. Have you forgotten what Christ has done for you? Have you forgotten that you were purged from your old sins? Verse 10, rather, brethren, rather than being blind, rather than being unfruitful and barren, Instead of that, give diligence to make your calling and election sure, for if you do these things, you will never fall. Do you believe these verses that we've read this morning? Do you believe that his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him that has called us? to glory and virtue, that exceeding and great and precious promises are given to us, that we can be partakers of the divine nature, that we can escape the corruption that is in the world through lust, that your calling and election can be sure, Now, whether that means that you will not fall from grace or that you will not sin, I'm not sure that it matters. If you do these things, you shall never fall. Verse 11 ends with this. For so an entrance shall be ministered unto you abundantly in the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Isn't that... What we want, isn't that our desire, our hope? Today I just encourage you to supplement your faith with these things that Peter has given us to consider whether you're growing in Christ. And if you're not, that you continue in, the, in this knowledge and, and knowing more about him, whether that's through his word, through prayer, through talking with others who can encourage you and instruct you. Whether it's through a disciplined, more of a disciplined life, in God that will result in sanctification, our world needs more leaders and less bosses. And sometimes, bosses well, people don't like to work for bosses very well, but people really enjoy working with leaders, and those who will dig in and get dirty with them. And I I feel like in our country, Christianity as a whole has gotten more of the name of a boss than of a leader. And let's change that in our lives, in our communities, in our church. My desire is that we would all be healthy and grow in our faith and in the effectiveness of the kingdom. Let's kneel in prayer.